0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook, arts reporter for the Chronicle Herald here in Halifax. I'm Karsten Knox, a blogger at Flaw on the Iris at halifaxbloggers.ca, and the movie guru at CTV Morning Live. This is
1: a movie podcast where we look at some current films and then examine some older titles that might be tangentially related, and hopefully you'll learn something about some films you might not have seen before. of St. Patrick's Day, we saw the Belfast set thriller 71 and decided it'd be a good opportunity to take a look at the legacy of Ireland in cinema.
0: So this week, we went to see 71. It's a new thriller set in Northern Ireland. Uh, and it is directed by Jan Demange and written by Gregory Burke. And I apologize if I'm totally butchering these <laughs> people's names. <laughs> um, basically, it's, it's uh, set in the early 70s in Belfast. And a young British soldier played by Jack O'Connell who I guess we saw last suffering mightily through Unbroken. He's Gary Hook, and he is in Her Majesty's military, and gets posted to Northern Ireland, which he figures should be okay, because he's still sticking around the UK, as he tells all his family. I'm not going out of the country. But he finds things (laughs) to be very different than he expected, and he's, he's really sort of out of his depth when he arrives and so are all of his his uh his fellow soldiers uh, and they get stuck in a riot in the rougher areas of belfast and he gets uh lost behind the enemy lines if you want to sort of look at it that way
1: yeah it's uh it's a pretty intense look at uh at uh, belfast a divided city uh at a time just before things really got bad, with uh, the, the the infamous uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday incident uh, that took place, uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember what the the final notes say that happened within months of uh, the events that we see transpire in this film. That uh, you know that things became really pitched, and then the IRA kind of went into overdrive. This is when things were still kind of on a low boil in the city, and uh, things were tense, but. Uh, you know not necessarily in the way that we've come to understand uh uh the, the northern ireland conflict at that time with the, with the, with the bombings and and everything that happened in the years following that uh that central point it's um Although, oddly enough, not filmed in Ireland. Yeah, that is notice. interesting. They chose
0: not they to shoot in, in Sheffield or industrial UK for standing in for Belfast of the era. Um, but it certainly has that feeling um, from what I, I've seen of, of the, the city in, in film anyway. And certainly that sort of yellow, gray, brown, orange kind of vibe uh, that, you know, forever will say the 70s. <laughs> but also, you know, the row houses and the... the the uh, graffiti and all of that seems it feels very authentic.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I like your use of behind enemy lines, but instead of being in a distant country or you know on a, on a far off battlefield, it's 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 a city where everybody speaks the same language. Everybody's has this kind of a shared heritage of sorts, and it's uh, and it's it's you know it's kind of the same religion if you just think of them as being. Uh, christianity or christians whatever but just that that one protestant versus catholic thing just seems to be the wedge that uh, that doesn't get extracted for another couple of decades and you know there's still tensions of course but but uh, you know it's just hard to it's hard to wrap your brain around even 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 the canada english divide or the french english divide in our country doesn't seem nearly as extreme as the divide here over religion and yet you know the the, the cultural differences are so minor And yet it's that one
0: sticking point that uh, just... Wreaked havoc in that country for so long, yeah. And certainly, you know, the history of British occupation, uh, uh, people being very unhappy and then impoverished. On top of that, uh, you know, I think what makes this the film pretty interesting is that we have our way into the film through the experience of this young soldier. But he's kind of a cipher, you know. He doesn't really have; he has very few lines of dialogue. He's really kind of on the run the whole time. He's he's kind of a living MacGuffin that everybody <laughs> everybody wants him. And uh, and what we find is we learn about the the politics and the various factions through the experience of all these other characters in the movie all these these uh, Protestants and and uh, Catholics and 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 young and old in the in the uh, Irish Republican factions there are there is sort of the older more mellow more willing to negotiate and compromise and then there's younger more hardcore more violent group and uh, and they all of course want this this soldier who's trying to hide out in this rougher area the whole, the whole thing takes place over about 16 hours so so it's super tense and uh, and a great thriller you know not not really a slow burn kind of uh, political thriller this is actually like more of an action movie I think it, it kind of is it, it ramps I mean it, it's not based on a true incident or anything like that but
1: the, you know the people who see this who lived there at the time or lived through this will probably see some very familiar uh, kind of uh, notes that, that they'll recall from you know the the fact that you know you're trying to live your life in the midst of all this chaos and armored cars in the streets and soldiers pointing guns at your head uh, looking for your identity papers on a regular basis, and all that kind of thing um you know it's it it's and yet you know we think of it as not the sort of thing that happens in what we call you know the western world um but but here's this this island <laughs> in the atlantic between us and and england it's 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 uh it's not that far away it's, it doesn't take that long to fly there and yet it seems like a a million miles away um in in that sense but um the the film uh I mean, the politics obviously play into it, and I guess that that makes it feel a little deeper than if it was just a guy on the run from some mobsters, like, say, the new Liam Neeson movie. Um, So, you know, it has has a certain depth and complexity that the material, uh, if it had been set somewhere else or just had slightly different plot... uh, plot mechanics wouldn't wouldn't feel as as meaningful as it does here.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree and uh I I really love the sense of of place and the sense of mood and and all of it. I mean, it was it was a real white knuckler experience and uh, uh yeah, I hope people get to check it out. I know it's an independent film, but I I think uh I think people would really enjoy it if they gave it a chance.
1: Yeah, I I love how it handles the complexity of the situation. But still has this kind of driving plot of he just wants to get back to the barracks, <laughs> yeah. and you know he just saw yeah. one of his mates get blown away. You know, we start off with kind of a, a mini riot on the streets of Belfast while the cops, the the Ulster Constabulary, are clearing out um, some row housing looking for for weapons shipments to the IRA, and then it just uh, just one it just goes horribly horribly wrong. You know, they're they're under they're under uh, equipped and and uh, under understaffed and. And, um, he gets separated and, uh, one of his friends, the guy just walks up to him and takes him out with a pistol. It's, 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 it's pretty shocking. And that's kind of the fuse that, that sets everything in motion. Um, and you know, he's, he's kind of a raw recruit. He's never, he's never, never seen anything like this before. And, uh, you know, so you're, you're kind of on his side from the get go. I think the fact that he's not a seasoned pro that he's, he's like completely out of his depth, um, you know, and you, you, the whole time you're thinking, well, what would I do? And you know, because sometimes there are moments in the film where you think he has a chance to get out, or that he could, if he just stayed put a little bit longer, and and uh, and, but it's it's just not that simple. You know, no. <laughs> it's not just like crossing the street from
0: one part of town to another. It's, yeah, it's, and he doesn't know the town at all. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's completely and lost, and he's finding uh, unlikely sympathy from some people who are who are on the. Uh, the Republican side, but, uh, but they know what would happen if this guy actually gets really hurt. So they are trying to protect him in, in the way, whatever way they can. But there are people moving around the streets looking for him. And uh, yeah, it, it uh, there, there it was full of surprises. It really was.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, and we'll probably talk about this later, but of course, like in, in all films that involve uh, the conflict in Northern Ireland, it's, it's, uh, you know, that there are good guys and bad guys on either side it's not like like you just can't do a black and white you know irish struggles kind of film that that that, that there's going to be you know some people trying to do what's right and keep the peace and other people that are just trying to stir up trouble and and uh you know make it look like you know do horrible things and then trying to pin it on the other side and, mm-hmm. yeah. and we see all of that in this film and uh, uh it's just you know you just wonder how, how people made it through <laughs>
0: So this is our first chance at looking at the cinema of a nation, and uh, we've kind of chosen a a complicated one for our first time out. I I think you know, obviously, this material—the historically fraught relationship between Ireland and Northern Ireland and uh, the Troubles, as they are uh, known—has been a source of a lot of great movies. But but the cinema of Ireland isn't just about that. I I mean, I tried to think about all the movies about the Troubles that I had seen, and I came up with a short list, uh, including "A Prayer for the Dying," "Hidden Agenda." In the name of the Father, The Crying Game, Bloody Sunday, OMA, Hunger, Shadow Dancer, Fifty Dead Men Walking, and The Wind That Shakes the Barley, which is kind of a history of, of the troubles. Yeah, it's definitely the most historical of the bunch. Michael yeah. Collins, of course. With, oh yes, uh, right. With Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's a, a bunch of other movies from Ireland that I have enjoyed. Uh, Veronica Gerwin, uh, Once, The Commitments, Waking the Divine, My Left Foot, The Guard, Hear My Song. I mean, these are song These are uh, movies that. Uh, uh, have nothing to do with those subjects but it 's i i mean as you were mentioning the the complexity of the troubles are certainly, and all the stories related whether they 're docudrama or just uh fictionalized accounts uh certainly have drawn a lot of great filmmakers to tell those stories it 's
1: funny I mean I, I don't mean to generalize because of course there's a, there's a bigger world out there but it does, you know like as as the, those films you list they, they're either about the conflict in some way or, or form or they're uh, you know or they're like a whimsical character study type comedy or not necessarily a comedy but you know you think of a film like Once for example a yeah. romantic uh, musical film set in Dublin That that they're either like very character driven or kind of issue driven and that's that seems to be uh, kind of the way that they they land. And I, I, I don't know if that, that has something to do going back to the tradition, because before film, of course, um, I think film was probably a little late coming to Ireland than it was, you know, developing in England and, and in the U.S. So, um, you know, the stage, of course, you know, Sean O'Casey, Brendan Bean, people like that, you know, writing for the stage. I mean, that's kind of where Ireland first started to see itself it's you know modern self reflected back at them was in the in the playhouses of Dublin and Belfast and and so so that I, it comes out of that i suppose you know i think of something like the plow and the stars which was turned into a pretty awful movie by john ford oh, yes. <laughs> at some point in the 30s but you know it really captures the the human drama behind uh, the uh the uprising in 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 Dublin between the irish and the british in the 1920s so um you know, there's, there's a tradition before celluloid that, that, right. that this is kind of drawing on, I guess. Yeah, anyway. yeah. And, and I mean,
0: of... a storytelling that's part of the exactly. culture. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. and, no, and, totally
1: makes sense. And, and goes back even further. But of course, you know, as, as modern times and modern politics uh, intercede, that becomes part of the tradition.
0: Yeah. Um, I found it interesting. One of the things that we found interesting about 71, to sort of go back to that for a second, is that that when the character arrives in, in Belfast, both the, the Catholics and the Protestants call him the Brit, and he is known, therefore, <laughs> by, from both the, by both sides, even though he is in his head is is still in the UK still. But it's, it speaks to the identity of the people who are living there and his identity as an outsider uh, that he is the Brit. And even in Northern Ireland, they aren't they don't think of themselves as Brits necessarily.
1: No, no. It, it, it's just that that. Uh, well, it starts with the. Uh, oh, no, I'm thinking about another. File. Sorry, I was thinking about our next one that we're going to talk. It starts with the well, or, Orange Man Parade. Uh, yes. But, you know, that that very divisive. A uh, line that goes all the way th- snakes through Belfast and is such a you know a, an annual <laughs> object of tension and, and uh, you know distress for a lot of people.
0: Uh, so hidden agenda from 1990 directed by Ken Loach and I'm going to want to talk about one of his other movies mm. later but he's a British filmmaker with very left-leaning po- politics to the point where many of his movies have been banned, mm. uh, and not shown and he's had a hell of a career. He's been making movies since I think the late 50s uh, and made a lot of them but he, uh, he certainly is is a cause-oriented filmmaker and uh, Hidden Agenda is a cracking thriller if I can say. <laughs> uh, uh, not not I don't think it's based on any kind of real events, but it's set uh, in the Troubles, and uh, it's the basic story is is two American lawyers, civil rights lawyers, are are doing sort of a study of of uh, conditions, situations in uh, in Northern Ireland. When one of them uh, is killed, played by Brad Dorf, at the very beginning of the film, and his his partner Francis McDormand uh, is there trying to get to the truth of why he was he was shot. He was shot by uh, British British uh, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, and uh, he he. He was in a car with a... a suspected terrorist. And uh, and he, she's trying to get to the truth with the help of a British investigator who's sent over to find out what's happened, played by Brian Cox. And uh, there's a huge conspiracy behind all of it uh, that relates to a tape that's gone missing and senior members of the Conservative Party and how they may have helped get Maggie Thatcher into power using legal, <laughs> yes. legal means. And, and it's just a... I mean, it, it's it's got the background that we know well uh, of this, this situation in, in Northern Ireland and actually part of it is set in Dublin as well. But it's uh, it's just a a great, great. You could almost call it an espionage thriller.
1: In a lot of ways, I mean, it it has some of that kind of uh, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy kind of uh, approach where everybody's. Well, I mean, the title is Hidden Agenda, after all. Everybody's (laughs) got their own motives, and uh, you know, it it uh, it ties this this murder that it you know on the base of it seems like a local, you know, Irish Northern Ireland politics issue um, with something. Being revealed that would be harmful to the um, the British side, but then winding it into this into this example of how the Conservative Party kind of used Northern Ireland and the the the, the threat that it uh, may or may not have. Uh, well, it, you know, in, in some cases it was a very real threat to people on the main, uh, not on the mainland, but in Britain itself, um, and, and used that as a wedge to get, get into power, much the same way that terrorism, uh, you know, after nine eleven gets gets used as a as a political tool um we're seeing we, we see a lot of the same kind of terminology being used here except instead of instead of al qaeda it's the ira uh, as this kind of uh boogeyman that 's being uh touted about um and uh yeah it it does give you some pretty good background on what things were like in the country at that time and 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 how there was so much more than just the you know one religion versus another or, or Britain versus catholic ireland or whatever that the, the, the things went a lot deeper i uh, of course we both uh, you know i remember our discussion after the film we found it got a little didactic as it went along you know yes. we eventually yes. we meet this shadowy figure uh from the ira who basically turns into mr exposition uh, <laughs> yes, you know yes. kind of he basically becomes donald sutherland in oliver stone's JFK, <laughs> laying <laughs> right. out the the whole thing and and yeah. and you know the and i saw this when it came out and i don't remember it bothering me as much at the time mm-hmm. because it was all new to me and all f- fairly fresh um You know, and then I went to Ireland a few years after the film came out and got to see some of that for myself. But 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 now this film hasn't aged so terribly well, but it's still worth seeing just because of the performances. Brian Cox as the British investigator who, uh, you know, doesn't want to just toe the line. He wants to really get to the truth of the matter, uh, which, of course becomes you know a puzzle wrapped up in an enigma and, a, and draped in mystery sauce but yeah. uh, <clears throat> and it, but francis mcdormand is is so wonderful years before fargo uh catapulted her fame more or less it's, it's odd to see her so impossibly young in this film and yeah. uh, and i and brad duroff even though uh, you know he uh gets gunned down pretty early in the film you know it's always a treat to see him in a in a serious role and in a, in a challenging role
0: uh, yeah, yeah. I think you're you're absolutely right about all of that I, I, I feel like Ken Loach being this very issue driven filmmaker and he's kind of a humanist filmmaker he's, he's yeah. one of those guys who shoots he tends to shoot um, you know wide sort of masters and he doesn't tend to cut as much as some filmmakers so he sort of lets his actors sort of move in and out of the frame uh, in front of the camera and uh, it makes for more I don't know it just seems more There's a, there's a sense of realism to it which doesn't necessarily lend itself to the kind of genre that this is which is a a spy or thriller event of a sort, but he because the script is so is so compelling and his performers are so good, um, you know, you never get. I mean, I, I was totally involved, completely gripped by it throughout. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree as well that it, it feels by the end, it's like, well, there's a lesson here that we all need to learn, <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's going to make sure that we get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think just because we probably know more about the situation now than 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 back then, then some of it can can be a little heavy handed, but but. You know, because he does invest so so much in the characters, and that's fairly late in the film that that feeling comes along. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah. you know, it doesn't wrap up tidily because, of course, the whole situation didn't wrap up tidily. Um, you know, the peace talks with Sinn Féin, you know, would sort of kick into gear in, in years after. I don't, You know, I don't know if this film played a part or not, but, it, you know, it certainly opened a lot of eyes, you know, outside of the U.K., um, to what was
0: happening there and 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 you know I think mission accomplished for Ken Luke. for sure for sure and and I think also the uh you know I think the fact that the film was quite uh, by more conservative e- elements of the uh, critical community in the UK really didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> so uh so you know the, in fact I think someone called it a uh, uh an IRA support uh, uh film or something like, like that a propaganda film, propaganda yeah, film. Yeah, that, right. yeah which uh you know it, removed from the time it was made, I think makes it that, one of the reasons to watch it, if it is that. I mean, I think that's a good discussion to have after the after the fact. So the wind that shakes the barley won the Palme d'Or at Cannes in 2006, so this is probably the Ken Loach film, aside from Hidden Agenda, that has gotten the most attention. And it goes back to the late teens, just after the First World War, and the, um, what was the Irish, uh, uh, the, the War of Independence uh, which I didn't know anything about so oh, this wow. film this film was really interesting for me to see in terms of a historical document or a historical uh, recollection uh, Killian Murphy plays Damien who's a doctor and a socialist who isn't really interested in fighting the Brits but his brother uh, played by Patrick uh, Delaney Teddy is uh, is more the, the forthright uh, leader t- type and he kind of draws him in and the two of them fight alongside a, a Liam, C- Liam Cunningham who is uh, Who's an actor who I think a Game of Thrones fan will know because he's Davos the pirate, mm. uh, missing the fingers in that show, <laughs> but uh, he's also a great, great actor. And this is a gorgeous looking film. Uh, Loach really that that whole like wide shots with this with the green of the countryside. It's absolutely gorgeous, and uh, and I can't think. Of another film that better uh, depicts how ideology can lead to war and bloodshed, because you got two brothers who are very passionate and they're organized and they're fighting off the Brits uh, and the the soldiers and and you know and then and they have to deal with the fact that some of the people they grew up with. Are collaborating with the Brits, and uh, one young man, in fact, uh, he gets executed for being a traitor, and it's just heartbreaking, it's oh, incredibly yeah. moving scene. scene. And uh, uh, and and then you know, eventually, uh, the third by the about the third act, uh, the two brothers are split on their ideologies because because one wants to accept. Um, uh Teddy wants to accept the Dominion british Dominion deal uh the treaty, and uh Damien, who sees people starving and as he treats them uh, you know out in the in the rural areas of Ireland, he wants nothing to do with that, and they wind up at odds with one another uh it's just just a startlingly effective way to tell the story and and very affecting too i I really love the movie.
1: Yeah, it 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 does go way back to to that time of, of, of that fight for independence, and and uh, the, I when I was in Ireland, uh, I kind of did the tour of, of some of the sites of of, of when the, the pitch battles in the streets of Dublin at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, the, the most famous event being the siege of the post office. A lot of the freedom fighters are uh, I can't remember what the name of the of the cause, the re- Republicans maybe, but the, they they were hold up in the post office and held the British off and you know the bullet holes are still in the the bricks mm-hmm. of the post office on McConnell Street and and uh, over the McConnell bridge and and uh, saw some of the, and then I saw the plow and the stars which is uh you yeah, I saw that at the the uh, Abbey Theatre the famous uh, Dublin theater and that plays about that very event uh-huh. and, and the effect it had on a, on a family in Dublin at the time so so um you know I I feel like I've not re- relived it, but but certainly you know walked in the the steps of some of the events that happened in this film, and and uh, it is it is a rich film, and 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 uh, you know certainly probably his most cinematic film for like you know because it's it's a it's a lot less it's not as prosaic as some of his other films. It's it's, it's you know he's he's ta- taking time to dwell on some of the imagery and you know of course the you know because it's set in the past the production design is a lot more involved you know i don't think anybody came in wearing their street clothes uh, yeah, absolutely f- for this film and 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 killian murphy is is just phenomenal i mean you know i i i keep waiting for him to to deliver another performance of this caliber, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure he still has it in him. I just haven't seen it
0: from him in a while. Yeah, so. he seems to be showing up in Christopher Nolan films in a supporting role more often than yeah. not lately. Uh, but uh, yeah, he is so good in this, and uh, and it's it's really just a wonderful film. I I felt uh, I felt just kind of very emotional at the end of it. So, uh, and I sort of revisited it. Uh, just a little while ago preparing for this and uh, it was great it was great to see it again
1: yeah because it's, it ties up the I mean it's, it's, there's the politics of it there's the religion aspect um, the film also gets into the fact that a lot of the land the real estate was owned by absentee British landlords and the Irish basically didn't own their own country it was all owned by by Brits who'd been you know awarded uh, parcels of land and then, and then rented them out at exorbitant rates to farmers who were ba- barely scraping out a living. Um, you know, of course, which is what, you know, when the potato famine hit the, you know, a hundred years before that's uh, you know, the, 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 bottom fell out of everything, mm-hmm. just, you know, and, uh, but, and, and the British took advantage of that to tighten their grip on the country. So, um, you know, here we're seeing the fallout of that is still affecting the country a hundred years later. Um, and uh, actually another film i wasn't going to talk about it in detail but there's a film called the field by an irish director named jim sheridan who's right you probably yeah, has absolutely. worked a lot with daniel sure. day-lewis mm-hmm. uh, my left foot being the most famous example but but the field is is, is a very human drama very you know, just takes place on a, on a farm in Western Ireland. is Richard Harris? Richard Harris. Yeah. Uh, he's he's worked this land his whole life um, and then the British, the, the widow who owns the land is going to sell it and not to him. You know, almost out of spite. And, uh, you know, he's he's just, a he's got these two sons and uh, he's just a force of nature in this film and, you know, he would, you know, rather <laughs> drive his animals over a cliff than, than give in to this, this um, spiteful landowner. So, it, 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 you know, there's a lot of power in the land as it were in in um, you know in Ireland and and uh, you know the filmmakers that can, can can wring it out of out of it uh, you know it takes a lot of talent but to, you know there's such a rich background to draw from and wind that shakes the barley I mean even the name you know of the film comes you know just comes from from the land and the
0: landscape and, yeah apparently and, a song uh, a folk song yes yes, yes so the last uh film of the the sort of troubles covering that particular (laughs) part of the of the history that i uh came to mind and and i i saw was bloody sunday from 2002 this is directed by paul greengrass who has gone on to become well known as a hollywood uh filmmaker action filmmaker he directed the second and third born movies and he directed united 93 and also most recently captain phillips now this is a real docudrama it's it Uh, tries to recreate the Massacre in Derry in 1972, the Bloody Sunday Massacre, uh, shot in handheld document, docudrama style. Uh, Basically the British military attacked civil rights protesters, uh, partly organized by a Protestant Northern Irish politico, Ivan Cooper, played by James Nesbitt. Mm -hmm. And it has an amazing grainy look, you know, a lot of characters talking in crowds or from a distance or through doorways, lots of of that kind of feeling like it's all being shot on a fly, which is one of uh, Greengrass's sort of trademarks and he certainly brought that with him to this action uh cinema uh and uh but you know the thing that greengrass does so well uh, and i wanted to mention this and watching it again and remind remembering what a talented filmmaker that guy is is he uh he he creates you never forget where you are in space like he's always very good at 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 doing the dynamics of of where people are moving and how they're moving you never feel sort of lost i think a lot of people use that borrowed that style as a shorthand for authenticity or grittiness or whatever the genre of film and and not many people can do it the way he does and it, you really get a sense you're in the crowd with these people and it, it uh it's a shocking film because it really shows how there were a small group of people who were throwing rocks at the military at the, the at the riot police, and uh, uh, but there were a lot of peaceful protesters that day as well, and uh, and when things got out of control, the men with the machine guns shot a lot of uh, a lot of innocent people. And I think fourteen people died that day, and many more were hurt. So it is it's it's pretty powerful stuff, and uh, certainly uh, important uh, film to be considered with this with these group group of movies.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see that his style, his visual style, which is sort of ordered chaos uh, goes back to you know before his bigger budget uh, kind of Hollywood films that, that that was a trademark on something that's kind of on a smaller scale than, than something like Captain Phillips or or those uh, Bourne films um, and uh, you know you just have to you must have to be incredibly organized <laughs> you know and, and and logical kind of filmmaker to be able to to do that and make it work because a lot of times it's just like oh it's just an excuse to do kind of you know Blender-style editing of a lot of choppy shots that you hope you know will add up to to something in post, but uh, but but you know he seems to be very careful about how he
0: how he assembles his shots and and. You know, have them thematically make sense. Yeah, and and certainly it didn't uh, hurt that his characters are pretty well defined. Mm. You know, he, he chooses a certain amount of characters in the course of the the setup, so you know that these ones are going to be important as you go through. Sort of like uh, one would in a, almost a disaster movie, but uh, here, you know, you get to see them as they run through the day, and of course, some of them don't survive. Uh, and uh, and the I, you know, the the people are enormously emotionally uh, uh, wounded and and actually wounded by what happens that day, and and it and i think it, it definitely describes an important day in history and and uh you know certainly at the time uh a lot of those people who did the shooting that day had never hmm. never came to justice you know the british the independent uh uh look at at the uh at what happened uh the the soldiers were all excused and their their uh the, you know That no one was prosecuted.
1: And 20 years later, after those events took place, when I was in Northern Ireland, I was basically told to stay out of dairy. Like, just don't even go near it. Wow. And, uh, you know, even though things weren't at the kind of heated, uh, uh, kind of, turmoil that they were at that time uh you know it's just like just don't <laughs> you know like you know if if somebody doesn't know which side you're on <laughs> you don't yeah. know what's gonna happen and sure. and uh you know i i, I didn't want to get into that too much in the, in this in this podcast but it was you know it was an interesting time because it was right before you know that the, the peace talks really started in earnest to, mm-hmm. to try and to, to calm things down and, and bring peace to the area and uh and but there was there was a palpable tension in, in in places like Belfast and along the north coast and some of the towns that we went to you know where every town would have a police station that just looked like an armed fortress right in the middle of these sort of bucolic um, seaside towns or whatever but there'd be like this military presence and and it you couldn't figure out why like yeah. why does this have to happen it doesn't you know doesn't make sense but you know the, the those ideologies run run pretty deep you know especially when they're Tied into culture and religion and family and all, and all that kind of stuff and uh, you know that's of course that's what makes these films so watchable I yeah, guess yeah absolutely it might not hurt to take a look back at kind of Irish imagery in film from the classic days we've mostly been talking about films from the last few decades and uh, you know but of course Ireland had a much different image in film you didn't see many films about the troubles and the revolution. I mean, mean, there was uh, The Informer with John Ford. John Ford seems to have been... He's an American director of Irish heritage who seems to have shaped... The Irish image
0: in film for like the first half of the century, <laughs> that's, yeah, and then yeah, reality kind of set in. I, these, this is where you're getting into the territory that's new to me. So, yeah, so yeah by, by all means, I, Though we did watch a, a little bit of The Quiet Man the the other day, which uh, which I did enjoy seeing John Wayne strutting around in the Irish countryside. Yeah,
1: it's if, if, if and it was all filmed on location, which was kind of amazing for the time. A lot of the films that were set there were totally not filmed there. But John, you know, John Ford, I guess, would use any excuse to get back over to Ireland because he started filming over there back in the silent days um uh, but but it's it's interesting how one guy basically you know created this mythology of 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 the irish homeland you know basically like 100 years after the immigration waves of immigration to the 1800s so he's you know he's basically knows his audience he knows there's a huge audience for these films you know not of course not just irish but just it's just seeped into the uh yeah uh, you know, the American melting pot as it were and uh you know it's it's part blarney you know there's a lot of fist fights and a lot of drinking and, and it kind of reinforced all those stereotypes <laughs> very artistically they're, they're great films they're incredibly well made I mean we watched the the quiet man uh just a, a you know beautiful cinematography and you've got iconic actors like like John Wayne of course is a is a you know, a, a guy who made his fortune in the states and has come back uh, to visit the homeland and falls in love with a young, high, beautiful Technicolor Colleen, played by uh, Maureen O'Hara. You know, who's got uh, a fairly recalcitrant uh, father who just wants to punch the crap out of John Wayne, and boy does he ever in the, in the big climax! But but you know, in one of the most famous you know fistfight scenes in, in classic movie history. But but so so that was kind of what got ingrained in, in the cultural memory until the films about what was really going on started to to seep into the consciousness a uh, a little while later but it, it it is interesting how you know that is such uh a big part of of classic hollywood films, you know that that the, the the irish character you know there's always there's always that one irish priest you know maybe it's bing crosby or, or you know F- father flanagan or whatever you know it's it, it's uh it it doesn't really reflect on the reality of everything, or necessarily even the Irish experience in America, you know. And we we actually see in uh, it was, I think it's a Jim Sheridan film in America. In America, where I actually sure, see yeah. On Irish family Fairs, yeah. You know, or Angela's Ashes for that matter. That thing, things were a lot different, but but it seems it f- it seems like uh, you know for people in Ireland, the, the they were you know they were getting their own experience reflected back at them through these Hollywood films. That were, you know, for the most part, a, a load of Blarney, shall we say, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know I, I mean, you know, if you want to go as far as a cartoon like uh, Darby O'Gill and the little people from Disney, you know, the, you know, the, the, the whole leprechaun mythology gets, you know, blown way out of proportion, um, in that, but but it's uh you know it's it's an interesting part of the history that we don't you know really see those films so much anymore. Um, you know, I, I get a kick out of them. I, I realize they're they're kind of goofy and and uh, don't necessarily represent uh, what happened. But uh, you know, and there was another whole strain uh, of films uh, going back to the silent days, the Coens and the Kellys, uh, and A B.'s Irish Rose, where you had these kind of films where where a Jewish family and an Irish family would be. Connected by in a Romeo and Juliet scenario, although not as tragic, of course, but you know where you know like a an Irish man falls in love with a Jewish girl or vice versa, and 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 those were extremely popular because they were just pandering to the the, the, the sort of the recent immigrant audience. Interesting, so
0: diaspora in America, exactly coming and, to see them. Yeah,
1: and you know initially in, in the the big audience for films were you know the the the, the upper class, the well established you know blue bloods. Uh, the, the plymouth rock types uh, you know the mayflower uh, families you know they kind of look down on the movies uh and, and so the the you know, edison griffith all these they quickly realized that the the, the people of recent you know, immigrants uh and, and working class the, the, the film was their entertainment you know there was the theater for for everyone else but the you know the film reflected this, this kind of working class audience and that's kind of what shaped the the stories that were told in in the early days of film including you know irish was a big part of that you know and, and then it just had that lingering after effect through like john ford films uh even films that were set in the old west you know that would have that element of it you know they you know the bulk of the the characters would be of that kind of heritage and you'd you'd have to put up with a a drunken irish party scene in the middle of of, uh, she wore a yellow ribbon or something like that. So, you know, the, this stuff became pretty ingrained and, and, and then you see, and then the fun thing is when you watch The Simpsons, they make fun of that tradition, you know, because obviously certain people grew up with that, you know, probably because it was their parents' favorite movie and they had to watch it whenever it came on TV. So, you know, it kind of lingers. So, it you know, it's, it's nice to see the intersection between the classic Hollywood view of, of Ireland and Irish culture and Irish-American culture or whatever and then, you know, the real the truth of the matter starts to take over in some of these films that we talked off the first half of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, certainly whimsy is part of some of the films that aren't about those political issues that are oh, for still, sure. still the new movies as well. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you've got um, some of the films written down, you know, the, the, the new generation of like whimsical or comedic films, the, the commitments. Yeah. Waking Ned divine. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. that, the, the, uh, it's uh you know, it, it's it's almost like you know if you said it in Ireland, you got to have some wacky characters because yeah. that's
0: just the nature of the beast, yeah, apparently. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I thought it would be uh, good to suggest a, a double feature of some recent Irish filmmakers, and handily, there are two filmmaking brothers who are making great. Irish movies right now. Uh, Mark, Martin McDonough, who got his start as a playwright, is now a filmmaker, and his brother John Michael McDonough. Now they are Irish bred or Irish born, but they are uh, they actually raised in the UK, so they sort of dual citizenship. I discovered, but they are characters, and their stories are all very Irish, even in Bruges, which is Martin McDonough's. 2008 feature film debut and uh, it, it's set actually in Belgium in in Bruges, in the town of Bruges <laughs> but uh, it's about two hitmen Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell who are Irish and uh, they're laying low in the city, as a result of Colin Farrell's character having shot someone he shouldn't have shot, and it's it's this wonderful mix of of heavy, dark uh, intensity. It's it's actually there's elements of suicide and depression and and uh, and absurdity, but there's also a lot of really wild, almost obnoxious humor. Uh, this is one of Farrell's best performances, and Brendan Gleason is just wonderfully uh, laid back, and uh, and he's just such a great uh, presence in the film. Uh, and, you know, I, I think some of it is is for the more delicate Constitution might be a little bit, uh, might be offended by some of the humor <laughs> in the film, because um, it, it's quite it's raunchy in, in some ways, but and then at the very end, when Ray Fine shows up, it gets pretty bloody, but uh, it's such an unusual story and it, it goes places you're never going to expect. So, so I, that's one I would really, I'd really recommend. Well, uh, there is a streak of, of black humor running through. Irish literature and films
1: and I mean you go back going even going back to the, all Oscar Wilde um, uh, and then up through James Joyce and um, my favorite example would be Spike Milligan from from The Goons who was of Irish descent uh, but it was actually born in India and then grew up in England so it wasn't you know but that Irish thing is just you know from his dad just is, is runs him so fiercely and, and wrote a few uh, stories about Ireland that are just uh, they're like a combination of surreal, like almost James Joyce and surreal uh, dialogue and situations. But then this thick black humor that, you know, that's, you know, thicker than a, a pint of Guinness sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, this fatalist
0: kind of approach to life. And, and certainly a film like this, you know, brings all that out in, Absolutely. in spades absolutely and and the and it's also it's a genre picture cuz there's hitmen but it's it's got this wonderful cinematography cuz it really takes advantage of the, the scenery uh, in belgium and uh and so yeah if you haven't seen that i i'd really recommend it and it's a great one to watch with the guard from 2011 by martin mcdonough's brother john michael mcdonough and it's it's again uh it's it's Brendan Gleeson in the lead. Now, in this film, he plays a crass, (laughs) drug-taking, alcoholic, corrupt West Ireland cop. Uh, And and this film's kind of a procedural. It's, there's a murder and he's investigating it, but he's also, it's also in some ways a buddy cop movie because Don Cheadle shows up. He's an American FBI agent who's looking to track down a a crew of drug traffickers. Uh, It's got a wonderful rambling quality with a lot of little interstitial characters and and, uh, you never really get a sense of where it's going so in that regard uh john michael is a lot like martin in his storytelling qualities he's kind of rambling all over the place but uh, you really also feel a sense of warmth to these characters even though they're they're pretty awful and uh <laughs> uh and and uh yeah I, I really really love both of these films i i think they would be great together it's uh, well the,
1: the guard is wonderful and I, i'm really looking forward to seeing uh, his follow-up uh Calvary with uh brendan gleason back as a priest who's uh caught in a very uh, well you know life uh challenging t- uh ethical dilemma and I, I haven't seen it yet so yeah, neither i, I have not to too much i'm, I'm looking forward it, to it myself uh, yeah. i think it played here for about a week and then it was gone but but the guard just uh, you know just what well, keeps you off guard basically the whole film because you don't know what brendan right off the bat you know brendan gleason is a guy who's you know not going to toe uh, any kind of line and and uh is is not going to do anything predictable, you know. Like you just, you know, don't know how seriously he's going to take his job, or you know how far over the line he's going to go. You know, kind of like Bad Lieutenant Irish style, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it, it, it's it's not quite as extreme, but it 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 goes on the edge there. Yeah, there's more laughs, I would say. It, yeah, I'd say yeah more. If Bad Lieutenant was a comedy, there you go, <laughs> or less, or not quite as dark as that, but 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 certainly uh, Gleason's one of those guys who can. You know, just be in your face and intimidating, and and hilar- one moment and hilarious the next, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's one of those actors that uh, you know just uh, you know he's a delight anytime you see him. Even you know even
0: in the Harry Potter movies, you know <laughs> he's one of those guys that just takes hold of the screen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So Here My Song is a movie I really wanted to mention, and I know that this is a bit of a dodgy inclusion in the cinema of Ireland, Uh, and that's because it's officially a British movie, but a chunk of it, like the second act, takes place all takes place in Ireland, and it's about an actual Irish tenor. This guy, Joseph Locke, was an actual guy, and this is a f- sort of a fantasy based around his around, uh, actual facts. He he was famous in the 50s as a singer in the U.K., but he was up for, he, he had uh, sort of tax evasion. He hadn't paid his taxes, so he escaped prosecution by sailing over to his homeland of Ireland and just kind of living there for many years. And the story is uh, Adrian Dunbar plays a, a Liverpool nightclub promoter mickey o'neill in the late 70s who hatches a plan to bring Locke back to the uk for a comeback performance because he's going to lose his his nightclub if he if he doesn't do something spectacular um Now, uh, what Dunbar does is he, he goes over to Ireland and he helps, gets his friend, uh, played by James Nesbitt to try to track down Locke, uh, Locke played by, um, Ned Beatty. Now, uh, it also turns out that Locke, when he was back in the fifties, had a romance with a, with a British woman whose name was Kathleen, uh, you know, (laughs) take, take me home, Kathleen. Uh, and, uh, and her daughter, Nancy played by Tara Fitzgerald, another, uh, cast member of Game of Thrones, incidentally, um, she uh she is is in a relationship with Dunbar. Uh and, and also another another great character actor, David McCallum of Man from Uncle is it. Oh, of course. He plays the, the British cop who's on the hunt for Locke, the Locke who got away from him and he's always wanted to to lock lock him up. <laughs> so yeah, so this is a really charming little movie, and uh, frustratingly, it's not available on DVD. And and uh, you can still find it find it on VHS, and apparently on LaserDisc. Yes, if,
1: I, I looked it up just uh, <laughs> during the break. It's uh, you can you can get a
0: copy on LaserDisc for one dollar and six cents. There you if, go. You're so inclined. <laughs> but this is a wonderful little movie, and it does have some of that whimsy, and it really comes. It's partly the the music, which is which is really really great. But uh, it's just it's going over to Ireland and this whole midsection where where they get lost at one point um, Dunbar and uh, and his buddy and Nesbitt are are in a field and they come across (laughs) an enormous well and uh, and they start throwing things into the well just to see how far it is till they hear the splash (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they get more and more. Things. Eventually, they throw a big log down, but then it's attached to a chain to a, a cow, and the cow is running towards <laughs> the well. Anyway, it's, it, it it has a brief... Uh, venture into farce that I really adored before it goes back to the sort of love affair and and the singing and, and of course Locke's triumphant return to the stage of, of Liverpool uh, and uh, and I really if you can track it down it's it's a wonderful film uh, 1991 it's called Hear My Song
1: I, I saw this when it came out probably at the late lamented Wormwood's Dog and Monkey Cinema and uh, here in Halifax and I just remember loving the film and I, I hadn't seen a lot of Irish films or Irish set films at that point um, you know, I, I think uh, I think I had seen Hidden Agenda not too long before that, so it was nice to see the more whimsical side of that. And uh, you know, I, Ned Beatty is is such a wonderful actor, and it's, it's so rare that you get to see him in a role like this where he kind of gets to take over this storyline. Usually, he's—I mean, most people remember him from Deliverance, but you know, usually he's got a string of these kind of secondary character roles that that he excelled at. But but he really takes the. The bull by the horns before it goes down the well, sort of so in this <laughs> yes. film, and and I'll do like those kind of Shaggy Dog diversions. I my strongest images of him singing on a, he's on a fishing boat as they're taking him. I can't remember if they're taking him to Liverpool or back to Ireland on this thing, but you know, and and it wasn't you know after the film I kind of looked up the uh, Locke and and uh, you know he was a huge star. Uh, the, yeah. the, but uh, there was this whole thing about Irish tenors that were were just there were so many of them that were just such big names. John McCormack. There's another one of that generation uh, you know who, who sang all, all' Danny boy and I'll take you home again Kathleen and also like some of the the hymns and that kind of thing and it was just this huge pop music phenomenon that is for the most part pretty forgotten now um you know we have some sort of latter-day variations on on the irish tenor but it, it, it wasn't like a mainstream icon the way it was then. in fact john mccormick starred in at least one film for for fox back in the day he was not a good actor so <laughs> it was a pretty short-lived film career but uh-huh. it was you know they were they were big enough that someone would have faith that they could carry a major motion picture sure. and um you know that the, the this captures that moment so well when when you know anybody hearing a high irish tenor would just you know
0: melt in the aisles kind of thing yeah yeah well that's the impression i got and i do nothing about Mm -hmm. the lock or about that that scene but having seen the film i did my own little research as well and found all these wonderful songs that that he recorded back in the back in the day as they say
1: i I think it's just because those kind of voices carried so well on the old 78s you know that there was such power you know it's like al jolson you know because he had such a, a voice that would cut through fog like that, <laughs> that, that it recorded well to uh, the early cylinders and then uh, 78s uh, bef- even before electronic recording so yeah. um, you know that, that's part of the reason why they were so popular just because they came across so well on, on disc but yeah, uh, for sure. definitely a big phenomenon on stage and, and on record
0: so just to finalize our trip to the Emerald Isle here Stephen uh Oh, I, it's, we've you know in the past talked about our favorite movie in a genre that we're talking about, but I, I actually was wondering whether or not there was a favorite director, Irish director, that you would uh, you would recommend people to
1: people. Well, I, I mentioned the field uh, earlier in the film, and that director uh, Jim Sheridan. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to go with with uh, with Jim. He's a you know iconic filmmaker. hasn't really dwelt so much on Irish stories in a while. I think in America in 2002. And and it was all said in America about an Irish family that moves to the States and searching for better things. That was kind of like the last time he really delved into that kind of story. But, um, you know, so many legendary... I mean, Oscar winning My Left Foot, the story of Christy Brown uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis, with whom he's made three films. uh, And and In the Name of the Father is, you know, about... um, you know, an IRA, uh, operative in his time in prison and the boxer, but a guy out of getting out of jail and, and getting into, uh, you know, fighting in the ring as opposed to fighting in the streets. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, when he's dealing with kind of the nitty gritty of, of everyday life, uh, you know, has a real feel for it. And for characters that are, you know, for underdog kind of characters, sure. like Richard Harris in the field and, um, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, there's there's not a lot of humor in those films, you know, but uh, you know, I do really feel like I've I've seen something,
0: you know, pretty pretty human and pretty moving by the yeah.
1: by the time they're done, so.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree, and of course his relationship with Day, Daniel Day Lewis, who's hmm. who is not only probably the greatest actor ever to come out of Ireland, but maybe one of the greatest actors that's ever been, uh, has got to be. You know, that's a whole huge part of that, right? Certain directors have a connection with a with a powerful performer, and that they they bring out the best in each other.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see them work together again. Uh, obviously, my Left Foot was a huge turning point. For Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean that was yeah. that was the film that made him a household name mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure that, I, my, my memory of Oscar history' is pretty
0: dim uh, you know I'm trying to recall these things off the top of my head, but I believe he won the Oscar for that performance he, he did and, he did he came up and he said uh, you've made for a great night in Dublin I think that was his <laughs> first yes <line>. exactly and, <laughs> and
1: uh, you know at the, at the end of the film they show he you know he, he gets wheeled up a hill. Uh, at the end of the film, and and uh, I actually climbed that hill outside of Dublin. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I had to go climb the hill from the from the end of the film. There you and, go. And uh, you know, so I, you know. It's, it's always nice to revisit those, those moments in history.
0: So I imagine at some point they'll probably work together again. Yeah, but. I hope so. I hope so. Well, uh, day Lewis picks his projects, uh, carefully these days. He doesn't work that often, but when he does, it's a great thing. Um, my favorite Irish director I thought about, uh, was Neil Jordan, someone who has managed to work, move in and out of, of Irish stories in and out of Hollywood. He, you know, certainly hasn't, all his films haven't been, uh, great, but the ones where he has really uh, made his mark, uh, include The Company of Wolves. Mona Lisa is probably my favorite film of his from 1986 um, about a... Bob Hoskins uh, driving a, a prostitute around London in a as a limo driver, and it's just a wonderful, sad little love story yeah. and a crime drama too. Great Michael Caine performance. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, and the Crying Game, which is another film about the Troubles, and famously, <laughs> famously about uh, someone uh, little gender issues uh, going on there, which s- surprised a lot of people in the audience. I remember when that uh, film came out. Uh, but Jordan's also responsible for films like The End of the Affair, a great uh, South of France. Uh, set, um, sort of heist movie with, uh, Nick Nolte called the good thief and, uh, and Byzantium from last year, which was a, a vampire movie that, uh, I don't know. A lot of people saw it only came out in DVD here, but, uh, it's, it's a wonderful little Gothic, uh, horror and, uh, in an old fashioned kind of way that I, I really enjoyed, uh, his actual second vampire movie. If you think about <laughs> the interview with the vampire, not a, not one of my favorite of his, but, but he's a, he keeps coming back and making interesting choices with his career. And, uh, and he's he's a wonderful filmmaker. So yeah, that my a tip of the hat to Neil Jordan.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen Byzantium, and I, like you mentioned, he did uh, interview with the Vampire, and of course, Company of Wolves, which was this great deconstruction of the werewolf myth, myth by tying it into Little Red Riding Hood. Um, <laughs> one of the highlights is you get to see Angela Lansbury's head get knocked off her body and <laughs> goes sailing across a room. You know, that's a, yeah, not bad for. A, a, an early film to have that kind of image stuck in your head but um, you know so it's nice to see him back in in horror territory because of course you know you know often serious filmmakers don't make genre pictures and uh you know the, the the good thief i you know that's a film i went into kind of dreading because uh it's it's actually kind of a loose remake of a french classic called Bob Bob le, Flambeur. le Flambeur. yeah yeah sure and uh it turned out to be different enough you know the, the, the framework was similar um nick nolte kind of playing it down at his heels gambler who gets roped into this uh into this heist that that goes horribly horribly wrong um you know the, the you know but aside from that you know different uh different approach to the story a different kind of tone mm-hmm. and nolte is you know it's one of his best performances you yeah know? Absolutely. i haven't seen anything like that out of him since so um you know clearly he's uh you know he's he's got some uh some real talent uh over the years, just uh, just the you know the, the, for him, I think the story is the thing that 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 is uh, his ability to focus on that is 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 pretty key. Yeah, absolutely. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed our cinematic trip to the old sod. If you enjoyed the show, you can contact us on Twitter
0: at Lens Me Your Ears, all one word, or search for Lens Me Your Ears on Facebook. We're on Stitcher, and you can rate and review us on iTunes, and if you do, we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. Our email is LendsMeYourEars at gmail.com. I'm Karsten Knox, and my Twitter is at Knox. And I'm Stephen Cook, and my Twitter is at
1: C-H underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. Thanks for listening, and may you be in heaven an hour before the devil knows you're dead.
0: Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. Lens Me Your Ears is engineered by Luke Badio and is produced by Dave Anderson and Jason Michael McIsaac. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Discover more great shows on the Village Soundcast Network by going to villagesoundcast.com. We can also be found on Twitter at VSoundcast and on Facebook by searching the Village Soundcast Network. Rate and review us on iTunes and you'll get a shout-out on an upcoming show. Send feedback to Lends Me Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network
1: original production. Came in at five pounds. Is that a baby or a A turkey? A (laughs) turkey.